Hey everybody and welcome to the Health Tech Podcast where we talk about everything healthcare and technology. I'm your host, James Somaru, and this is your weekly Sunday session. Hey everybody, today's guest is Dr. Arthur Roach and he's the Director of Research at Parkinson's UK. So Arthur spent 25 years in research, discovery and development for drug companies and universities and he's worked on projects developing new treatments for Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease and multiple sclerosis. And so to give you an idea of what Arthur's about, he says that his big preoccupation is finding the best means to convert genetic and biochemical discoveries of the past decade into new treatments that will make a difference to people at the moment with Parkinson's disease with his role at Parkinson's UK. So this one is super interesting. There's loads to get from Arthur on this. So I really hope you enjoy this episode, guys. So I'm Arthur Roach. I'm a Director of Research at Parkinson's UK. Uh, I'm a Canadian neuroscientist by background. Oh, cool. um, and uh, you know, been uh, one way or another trying to understand how the brain works when it works well and how it, what happens when it goes wrong uh, for pretty much my entire uh, adult life. Um, I started out as a kid who likes to take things apart, take the toasters apart, unplug it, take it apart again, that sort of thing. Um, and um, got really turned on to life science and biochemistry in, uh, in high school when I learned that the kind of you know, precise understanding of how things work can actually be extended to life and human cells and, and uh, uh, life processes. So that was a mind opener for me. I went off to university studying biochemistry and um, yeah, I had the idea of going to medical school, but at one point I decided, no, I wanna, I wanna work in the lab, I wanna just do research. Um, and uh, I've been paying the price ever since, but <laughs> I uh, ended up uh, going, going to uh, graduate school and there had another insight that that precise understanding of how things work is starting to be applied to the brain. So there you have you know, an area that I thought was hopelessly you know, complex and, and, and murky and muddy, and then I found out people were actually understanding, you know, the precise ion flows going in and out of ion channels and causing action potentials. And but wow, this is a this is a understanding something that's extremely interesting and, and complex and human. And so I went into uh, neuroscience for my my specialty and um, worked in academia for a while, uh, trying to understand what goes wrong, what goes right in, in multiple sclerosis and remyelination. That led me. So into some projects that um, that could have more application, um, and uh, that from there into a small biotech company, and from there into a couple of pharma companies. Um, and I must say, you know, I found that that a very uh, yeah also very gratifying experience. I found in 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 industry in biotech and pharma companies, there are really great project teams where people are they really know what they're doing. They're really motivated. They have the resources to do a good job. And they work together to achieve something that everyone believes is really important and uh, wants to work hard at and everyone's very interested in everyone else's results. I found that actually more interesting than being an academic who's maybe expected to be a little more independent and and have your own ideas and develop them all and then surprise everyone with your your genius. I I rather uh, preferred being in these teams and doing things together, deciding together and uh, creating things that are bigger than I can do myself. and that work was always in, in, in neurodegenerative diseases, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. And I have the great chances to work with great people and companies in the U.S. and in Switzerland. Um, yeah, so, um, and then you know, how did I end up with Parkinson's UK as a charity? 
Um, so that background really um, uh, gave me a very broad view of how new medicines are created, what it takes, a drug approved and, and getting it to patients and, and, and uh, you know, explaining to people how and why it works. Um, and uh, Parkinson's UK had, uh, had made the decision to have a major increase in its research budget. That's something that people with Parkinson's really want from, from Parkinson's UK. Um, and uh, the question was what to do with that extra resource, how that will be deployed. And uh, they got in touch with me and asked me what I thought. And uh, yeah, I told them that, um, yes, they're a charity, but um, if, if patients really want new drugs and new treatments and something that will work better for them, then there's something that biotech and pharma companies can do that, that is unique and they play a, a critical role there. But I know from experience that they can often decline to work on a Parkinson's project because there are other things that are competing, other things look easier, other things are in their strategy, but they're very often they're open to the idea, they just need to be convinced. So I brought the idea to Parkinson's UK, let's see how we can work in that area. We still support university research because that's always a foundation of you know, how, to, how to create a new treatment. Uh, very important work. Uh, we and others support that in the UK and elsewhere. Then when there's a good idea that needs to be um, turned into a medicine, um, the first stages of that are still a few years, they're still very expensive, and a lot of funders don't, don't work in that area. Companies used to, but they're withdrawing from that early stage. I think it's a little bit more risky. Um, they're happy to see someone else do it. So we identified that as a key place to work. So we have a program that we've called our Parkinson's Virtual Biotech that, where we take half our research budget and work in that way and say, we're looking for projects often running in small companies that need funding for that early high risk stage where we believe that if they get through that stage successfully they have a good chance of, of getting other supporters um, and going all the way to a new treatment that really makes a difference for patients we're open to both drug type treatments and also other device type treatments we're looking at examples of both i think we have more expertise in the drug side but uh, we recognize that there are many treatments and many things in life that aren't drugs, which can make a huge difference for people living with a condition like Parkinson's. And so we'd like to understand those and support those as well. So yeah, Parkinson's UK is a great environment to do that. It's very committed to you know, doing things for patients. We have great input from patients and we have great support from the community and, and trustees. And um, um, so we've been able to create a program that, yeah, I think is quite unique and exciting. But, um, of course, that's my favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you know, when I get people on this podcast, people tend to say like, oh, these are my two favorite topics, like myself and my company. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> there's no preparation needed. It's great. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a really interesting story. And obviously it starts in biotech or at least it heavily features biotech. I think one thing that I've learned quite recently, you know, I came from medicine. I came from being a doctor, very healthcare, obviously. You deal with medicines and drugs and you just sort of give them you don't really think about what goes on in the background you hear about pharma companies and just about you, you use the odd medical device obviously but your thoughts never really go into all of the innovation all of the work that goes in behind the scenes and frankly the investment and all the rest of it it seems to me that biotech specifically it's an area where the the, um, the amount of impact that can be made, even with incremental change, is huge. You know, you make a 1% difference to how much a drug costs to come to market 
all of a sudden you're talking billions. I mean, it's, it's just a huge amount of money that can be saved by innovation. And it seems to be an area that is, is super interesting to me. You know, we've had a couple of drug discovery companies on this podcast, uh, the likes of Accenture, I think, and a, a couple of others. And as well, with drug discovery, there's there's interesting things to it. Like it's a science, it's an art, it's, you know, trying to figure out how to change molecules is not purely just on algorithms and science. You know, it's 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 also on the individual to and what their perception of, of things are. So it's a very human thing as well as a very scientific thing. It's yep. it's a fascinating sector for me. And it sounds like you really enjoyed yourself in that sector too. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think what you the word you use there is very human activity. It's not what appears intuitively to most exactly, people. Exactly. Yeah, so true. But science is not something you do on your own. It's a social activity. You share ideas. You get ideas. You influence other people. You you create excitement together. You create teams together. So for me, it's it's very it's very social. And uh, you know, the, the benefit at the end of the day, of course, is is fantastic. I mean, uh, it's thrilling me to that part being spent every year to try to create new treatments for you know really terrible conditions and in many cases there are successes of course we don't have as many successes as we would like but it does work and there are even parkinson's where we know there's so much more to be done compared to 50 years ago before the dopamine replacement therapies came along huge difference huge difference in the patient's experience um and and uh you know we can we can extend that further with it gets harder and harder after all the easy (laughs) ones are picked off but you know that's what we're here for, and um, yeah, I think it is exciting. Um, and all those different specialties you mentioned, bringing them together, understanding how they all work, and and seeing them all, you know, all the pieces come together when they do, it's uh, it is great. So um, yeah, I'm really excited to be able to do that at Parkinson's UK on behalf of the Parkinson's community, where we're a little bit different. You know, we're really everyone else has their game. Our game is you know anything that will bring the benefit to the patients, and uh, uh, sometimes that puts us in complete alignment, alignment with other, other parties. Sometimes, you know, there's a bit of adjustment to be done, but, you know, that's okay. We, we do that, and uh, I think we have some great productive relationships. Um, you know, we, one, one key thing is we don't actually take any money, any funds, any grants from pharma companies. You know, we're very much there, funded by the Parkinson's community, doing what they need us to do. If necessary, we will cooperate with. If necessary, we will, you know, try to push and influence and nudge those other parties. Um, we're not, you know, uh, supported by them. So I think that is, uh, you know, a, a great uh, opportunity to to be a unique voice, have a unique influence and unique role. Um, but also, we fit in, you know, we're not trying to reinvent the world. We fit in with other people, what they're doing, whether it's the NHS or whether it's a drug company or a biotech company, MHRA, you know, we, we have to fit in that ecosystem, understand it. Um, but Parkinson's UK is big enough that we can have, have, have enough people to do it. So, yeah, it's a... Um, it's a great opportunity, and there's, there's, there's extremely interesting progress being made now based on you know the patient work and discoveries that have happened over the last 10, 20 years. New genes have been discovered, new pathways have been discovered. Now there's a very interesting stage where uh, new ways of testing drugs based on technology, based on wearables, based on digital smartphones are coming online. I think this will make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. It's Parkinson's, very tough condition to live with. Um, people will have it for, for maybe 20 years, maybe longer. Uh, it affects every aspect of your life. Uh, we see the tremor and the slowness of movement. That's how we recognize Parkinson's at first, but it affects thinking, it affects mood, it affects 
and sleep and and anything you can mention um, and um, uh, over you know get increasingly problematic over over many years it's slow progressive conditions so when we test uh, you know we have drugs that work on the symptoms and the dopamine system very effective actually they work very rapidly and very effectively that's great you know of course there can be improvements but um, that, that works pretty well. The problem is that the disease is still progressing in the background. Cells, cells are still dying. Nerve connections are still being lost. And eventually, those symptomatic drugs can't keep up, can't, can't compensate for all those lost cells and connections. So the next generation of treatment will be something that stops that loss of cells, stops the loss of connections, and works you know, upstream on the disease mechanisms. Um, those types of treatments will often slow the progression of Parkinson's, but Parkinson's progresses slowly over several years. So to measure that, and as you know, you know to have a drug approved and to, to know where it should be used and what patients to have the authorities agree with all that requires objective scientific evidence, which gets hard to measure when you have a variable condition, which in every, every person is a little bit different, moving very slowly, and you test a drug that has maybe 50% effect. And up until now, we haven't cracked that. Up until now, we've had We've had new treatments that can be tested, and um, the results have fallen short of what, what we would need to get the drug approved. We believe some of them are probably working to some extent, but they haven't quite been so clear um, and robust um, on the measures we use. So this is where digital endpoints are really great because you can imagine, it's very easy to imagine if you're talking about a disease that affects movement where someone moves slowly, doesn't get out of bed in the morning, uh, whatever, Take, takes you know, twice or three times as long to make a sandwich as I used to. So if you have a movement monitor they're wearing on their back or on their wrist, and you're collecting all that data and analyzing it appropriately, you can see effects there that might be harder to see by other, by other means. Much more data collected in the wild, at home, um, on the street, um, can, be, can, can be much more um, indicative. Um, also, there's in, in, in trials in Parkinson's, um, there's a big placebo effect. People get in the trial, they really want the drug to work. They really want to be better the next time they go to the doctor. They don't know whether they have the drug or not, but they want so badly to be doing better. Plus, they go home and practice all the tests they know they're going to have to perform. Guess what? They do, they, they do better on the tests. <laughs> so um, it becomes hard to measure a drug effect when, when even the people who aren't taking the drug are getting better. Sure. Um, but with these wearable devices, uh, you don't see that placebo effect. They're at home. They're getting up in the morning. They're forgetting about the trial. They're not trying to show off in front of the doctor or the nurse, um, and you see what their disease is really like. So I think the potential of, of that kind of technology to lead to huge advances where drugs that we couldn't show work before, now we can see clearly they work. Um, you know, I think that could, that could bring this new class of drugs available. So that, that is a really interesting point about the use of technology in healthcare, I think, is that it's often very difficult to measure things, frankly. You know, we're taught, if I think back to medical school, you're taught to stand at the edge of the bed. And as you know, you know, are they, are they well? Are they unwell? And then you have a look down the arm and a look at the face and, and you're just sort of making these judgments as to various things. And yes, we've learned to put numbers on those things uh, through different means and different mechanisms through time. But now, obviously, there's a way to really measure things like tremor as you've quite rightly pointed out with wearables and things like that and think about how then we can counter that. But I think the point that you make about 
how measurable symptoms are now to then measure the incremental effect of medications is clearly an important one. Is that something then that you guys, specifically at Parkinson's UK, are looking at? What what are the kind of technologies at Park that, that Parkinson's UK are particularly excited about at the moment? Yeah, so uh, there, there's there's one in particular that we uh, funded some of the early work on called Park AI. It's developed by people at Oxford, uh, Michelle Hu and others, um, which is a smartphone based app, um, and it has a combination of of tests finger tapping tests, but also you can wear it and the accelerometers and the smartphone can, can measure uh, how fast people can walk at their gait. Um, so um, it, that is uh, one of a number of similar technologies that you know, have the capability advantage of multiple different inputs um, being can be uploaded back to the, to the researcher or the hospital you know, uh, over the internet. So um, data collection can happen you know, quite rapidly without the patient having to come into the clinic. With COVID, actually, um, a lot of one hospital, you know, uh, medical, um, you know, uh, care management. They don't want to go to the hospitals and be looked at and be tested and prodded. But with this device, um, it's been designed so that many of the standard measures that would normally be done in the clinic or in the doctor's office can be done with the device. So you can get very similar data. So the patient can be followed. Problems can be identified remotely. So there's, there's a research aspect, but also there's the patient management aspect. So that's uh, 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 Park AI. Um, you know, there, there are a number of technologies that, that do something similar that the, 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 the person will wear or, or enter um, in the device at home. It can be a, a something they wear in their back that, that captures body movement. Um, um, so all these technologies, they're, um, up to a certain point, they're relatively easy to, to develop, right? You have a smart watch, capture the movement, and then have some algorithms to you know, analyze it. Um, but of course, to be used and really effective and, and impactful in drug development, there has to be some standards or people have to accept them. The, the European Medicines Agency or the FDA in the US or the AMHRA have to really believe this is good quality data and understand it. So there's a lot of work that has to be done to standardize and understand um, under, uh, the kind of data that's generated with these digital devices. And we are uh, a major, we're the, the underwriting supporter for an international consortium. Um, I believe now we're over 10 companies that are keen on finding better ways to develop Parkinson's drugs. Nonprofits like ourselves, Michael J. Fox Foundation in the U.S., Cure Parkinson's Trust here. Um, uh, and uh, regulatory agencies to all work together to try to solve this problem because it's a kind of problem that you could have 10 companies all trying to solve it separately coming up with 10 different solutions wasting everyone's time let's do it once let's do it well let's do it together academics in the UK actually are a big part of this there's some great expertise here in the UK uh, that are part of that consortium so um, uh, we were hopeful that between all the work that's being done in the individual projects and devices and this consortium we'll soon have agreements that yes uh, companies, biotechs, charities can bring data. Uh, you know, this Oxford device, for instance, uh, can you know produce these readouts, and the authorities will understand what they mean and will pay attention to them and say yes, this shows us your drug is working or not. So, so that will be great when we get to that stage. It's a lot of work, but we're 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 right in the middle of it with our uh, with our work with Cure Park uh, Critical Path Institute um, and, and 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 the consortium. It seems that you, you, you're doing a lot in 
innovation, frankly. It seems like you've got a real finger on the pulse. <clears throat> Excuse me. It seems like you've got a real finger on the pulse when it comes to technology. And obviously you're working in partnership with seemingly health tech startups here and actually helping them bring those technologies to market from the very early stage, which is a very brave place to be, you know, frankly, for the amount of time that you could put in or money that you could put in. But, but you've obviously got a really good idea of what needs to happen. And pe with people like yourself that are, that are experts in the field, it makes sense that you guys should have a real good hand in this sort of thing. The, the question that I've got next then is on the virtual biotech. You've talked about the, you know, your work with technology startups and, and the technology side of things. It sounds like the virtual biotech has got different things in the pipeline. So do you want to tell us about that stuff? Sure. Yeah. So that, that goes back to the comments I was making earlier on where you know, we believe that certain steps in creating new medicines happen best in the biotech, uh, yeah. biotech space. Um, so we want to uh, foment that extent possible. Um, and we, we feel that the amount of funding Parkinson's UK can make available is just at the borderline for being critical mass and you know, having an impact, but it's, it's there. So our, our approach is to invest about 4 million pounds a year. We'd like it to be more and we're constantly trying to find ways to improve <laughs> it. Um, in, in putting it into projects which maybe are just about to spin out from the university. In some cases we, we, we propose to the university, hey, this could be a good project. Why don't you spin it out and we'll provide seed funding for it. Oh, interesting. It'll operate as a virtual company. We won't have labs, we won't have salaries, but we'll, all the money will go on research. Some of that will happen in the university lab. Some of that will contract out to a contract research services provider that does this, the same company that would do work for GlaxoSmithKline when they contract work out. Sure. So the same quality, the same, you know, thinking. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, we'd be very, very, very shrewd about what are exactly the experiments, what exactly the data that will prove whether this is a good chance of working, that will interest further funders. Um, we have hired some people with farm and biotech backgrounds to be sort of our managers here, working very closely with these projects. It's not a matter to you want to do we give you a grant no we work very closely with them we have our own advisors advisory panels who worked for 20 years in biotech and pharma who really improve the projects and provide input and close it's not so much oversight it's it's active involvement helping decide what is the next molecule that should be tested how should it be tested yeah um and then when we do that um we're putting in the money for people with parkinson's it's all our funding comes from families with parkinson's um and and we want to be sure their money is you know, maximally leveraged. And so like any other early investor, when we put money into these companies and the companies seeking at the end of the day to make a product that will be commercially successful, sold around the world perhaps, well then like any other investor, we would have a, a share of the, of the return um, that comes back to the Parkinson's community, can go into more research or whatever. So we act like an investor, an investor in these companies might take shares in the company, they might have another kind of repayment agreement, but something like that to say, hey, this, this funding came from the Parkinson's community, other investors will be making their return, and it should be a return to the Parkinson's community as well. So this kind of more commercial approach, um, and I would say to be fair, you know, some, some of our supporters and our, our, our organization thought, that's a great idea, I love it. There are, there are some supporters, especially with a business background, who say, I much prefer that to some other charities models, which are a little more nice guy charity, here's some money. Um, um, but there are some people who say, oh, aren't we getting, are we acting too commercial? Or are we getting too close to the companies? So, you know, it's, it's, it's fair to have those concerns. I think we've taken the yeah. view that we can be more impactful. We can deliver more for people with Parkinson's by working in this more commercial way. And if there's 
there's an upside uh, later that allows us to do even more research, well, you know, we should capture that. As I said, some, some particular individuals say, this is exactly what I want to support. Mm. And I, will, I will get involved with Parkinson's UK because you're doing that. Um, so, so it's been quite, you know, quite, quite fun. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think that what that does in the long term is that you become then better at picking your investments if you treat them as investments if you're treating it as giving the money away you're less concerned you're less incentivized let's say to really pick a winner you're less incentivized to fuel the ecosystem correctly so you're less likely to give the good companies money and therefore the less good companies are going to be then growing but it's a false economy right yeah, because yeah, ultimately right. you've created that false environment and actually arguably you'll end up doing more harm to the ecosystem because people that do end up trusting that technology or that company that might not be as good for the market will end up getting their fingers burnt and i think i, I do completely agree with you that that is a role of of in the future of of the charity sector i do think as a, as a significant investor that knows what they're doing because you bring with you not only the credibility, but actually the ability to help. You guys, we talk about all the time, you know, to be a good VC, you've got to be able to scout, support, and or scout, select, and support the companies, support, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think you've got all of that ability as a charity because you are out there connected to the ground floor. You understand the yeah. patients, you are the patients. You understand the clinicians because you are the clinicians you've got a really good view operationally of the ground floor and from the patient level. And with people like yourself that have then got a financial, an investment, a startup, a biotech, a health tech background, it makes sense that as a group you, you would, if you pushed yourselves to be able to make good investments and to take your time over them and to do that due diligence and to, you know, have, have the ability to look at the data room, that sort of thing. And I believe that with the money that charities have, the ability that they have to fuel the ecosystem, I don't think it's exclusively their role and I don't think it's their role exclusively either. I, I don't think it's either of those things. I don't think charities are the only people that should be investing in some I don't think it's the only things that they should be doing. But I do think that they can add a real credible, they can have a real credible spot on someone's cap table, you know, when, when Parkinson's UK is there. And I think if you can have that brand as the, as the investor, you can make a real difference. And I right. really like that from the charity model. Um, are there any particular companies you've invested in or anything like that, that, that really stick out for you? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. What well, just on your, on your, on your point, I would just add that, uh, uh, I agree with you. Charities can do that. It can be very impactful. Uh, larger charities are doing it. You get to those smaller charities, it's tough for them to operate yes. in this way. I think there's a room in the future, the next way would be some kind of consortium, uh, you know, some kind of joint effort. So uh, three or four charities, smaller charities working in a particular area might say, well, we will create together our virtual biotech for, for diabetes or for, or for yep. ALS or whatever, yep. because we're too small to do it individually. Um, so we, we our, first, our very first project was... Uh, was in many ways, um, I think, exemplified a lot of what we're trying to do here. It was a, a project uh, that came out of University of Sheffield. The company is called Keepstone Therapeutics. Um, there was an investigator there who who understood 
a lot about drug discovery. He had done some early stage work, got to a certain point, uh, was having difficulty getting funding to go to develop it further, came to us for a grant because it could be for Parkinson's. And uh, we were just starting this program and we looked at it and thought this had real potential. And we said to them, would you be interested in doing this as a spin-out company? And they called back the next day and said, yes, we would. Let's talk about it. So that was very, you know, very receptive. <laughs> um, we were able to work out our great arrangement. Like I said, a virtual company. The company's a real company. registered sure, at the company's sure. house. The university owns some shares. The scientists own some shares. Charity owns some shares. And we put all the money in, basically. Mm. And, uh, have been, and with our scientific advisory panel, have been advising it and guiding it and moving it forward. Um, it, it reached uh, it, its difficult area. One of the one of the the um, the features we have to bear in mind is that in this approach, one can start a number of projects. One has to recognize that they won't all be successful, and one has to recognize at some point some of them have to be cut off. And that's always tough, but we, we think we can do that. This project we supported supported it for two and a half years. It made good progress. Um, and we thought it was time for it to try to get third-party funding. And we, we told the company, we will step back now. We'll support you uh, in other ways, but not with another million pounds. Yes. Um, and, because you uh, want your investment validated as well. And you want it supported yeah. by other people. And it needs to stand up on its own. Yeah, I get it. We have other projects we can seed. Um, so we, we, we pulled back. But they were, they, they uh, you know, uh, the company with our support was, was looking for uh, the next next investors and and actually uh, came within a hair's breadth of uh, having a really nice um, partnership. Can't say too much about it, but it was COVID, unfortunately. It really uh, was COVID that delayed it. Um, they were already to go. The the farmer partner was already to go. COVID delays made them gave them time to rethink their strategy, rethink mm. a few things. And then when they came back after COVID, they said, "Yeah, we still everything we liked about the project is still true, but our thinking has changed and doesn't quite fit." what we're looking for now. So I think that project will probably still manage to get a, mm. a partner. That will be the key, uh, key success you know, indicator for us that if these projects we seed can get that third party funding. Um, two others are, are interesting. Um, well, three others. So we have three at the clinical stage and clinical stage programs are quite expensive. Oh, wow. Most people think you can't afford that, but I know we can because I, I know we've paid for, for clinical studies in the past on a relatively mm. small budget. It's a different approach to it. You have to have smaller questions. You're an innovator. You can what it. can I say? <laughs> yeah, you can do it. Um, so, so we've done. We have three projects we're funding now. One is, I'm not sure I've seen the press release, so I'm reluctant to say the name. Um, but um, it's it's a, uh, it is a it is a company that has a molecule for dyskinesia in Parkinson's, and that will be doing wow. a clinical trial starting very soon. Uh, two other two other projects though are repurposing projects. So repurposing is a you know interesting approach. Of course, this is where someone's already done a lot of work and invested in bringing the molecule to a certain stage, often onto the market, uh, and then later it's it's believed that the drug could work, let's say, in Parkinson's. Now the problem is um, who's going to pay for all the testing because the testing that has to be done will ultimately cost tens or more millions of pounds. Someone has got to put that money in, and often it's an investor who wants to get a return. But <laughs> if the molecule is already in the market or it's generic, uh, um, it's hard to work that out. And often it never gets worked out. Um, and in the UK, there's been a lot of attention to that, and the and and we there's a solution that's being trialed, I guess. Um, and we're the first non-oncology project there. So the idea is that 
um, a charity can support these trials and it'll be smaller than an industry supported trial, but it still can deliver good, good evidence. But like a company, we would have discussions with the MHRA first, say, if we did this study and if the result was, was such and such, would you agree to put your stamp for approval on it? They, which I normally don't do for charities, but we, they, would, they would agree yes to do it. Then we say, okay, and the MHRA puts the seal of approval on it. Will you invest a relatively small amount of money in, 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 in the extra work you would have to do to, to market this or to, to distribute it for Parkinson's? And you will make a little bit more money, but not very much because it's a cheap drug. Um, and they agreed, yes, they would do that. So now, based on that, we're, we're funding a study called Top Hat, in which a uh, drug that um, is used in chemotherapy, it's on Dancitron, it's, it's used for nausea in chemotherapy, uh, usually for a few weeks at a time, uh, but it's believed, and there's some, there's, there's some evidence uh, already from old clinical studies that it could be effective at, at, at managing or, or stopping the hallucinations that actually become quite common in mid-stage and late-stage Parkinson's. These can be very, it's not part of the movement symptoms, so a lot of people aren't aware of it, but many people, most people with Parkinson's will experience hallucinations later in the condition. It's partly due, we think, to progressive loss of cells, progressive degeneration, that may be contributed to by some of the drugs they need to take for their motor symptoms. Um, but if ondansetron could, could prevent those hallucinations, which of course are very upsetting, people walk into their living rooms and believe there's rats all over the floor, or there are people looking in the window at them, um, and uh, it's, it can be quite upsetting, mm -hmm. and they really believe it. Um, uh, it can, uh, so uh, if that could be stopped, I could really improve their quality of life. It often makes it very difficult for them to live at home uh, unsupervised if they believe they're animals or people or whatever, you know, doing this or doing that in their room. Um, it can be quite um, unmanageable. So um, there uh, we said, you know, if, if we can see the path all the way through to the drug, being tested, approved, and used in patients, then we will fund that as a virtual biotech project. And in this case, we don't expect a financial return to the charity, but we're doing it because, because the ultimate goal will be achieved of a new therapy. So that's, that's a second project that um, you know, was a good example of how we're, we're adapting the pharma game plan um, to make drugs come through for Parkinson's that might, otherwise make, might not otherwise wow. make it. Um, and this, I, I, yeah, I've got to ask this while you're here. How close are we to a cure for Parkinson's? And I, you know, I take the point. There's a, a number of ways to to cure it. I suppose you, you're not going to essentially cure the disease, but in terms of alleviating the symptoms completely, or indeed, is or or in, is there a silver bullet? You know, there's all sorts of things. Deep brain stimulation. There's like so much going on yeah, yeah. that can potentially change you know, Parkinson's the disease forever. I mean, where are we on all the technology that, that could be used? Where, how close are we to a cure? Talk to me about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's a really exciting time in that area, but that, that means we're not there yet. Um, <laughs> so uh, we have all these biochemical and genetic discoveries that I alluded to that have happened over the last 10 or 20 years um, have led to a number of new treatment hypotheses that are now reaching the clinic. So there are, there's a protein called alpha-synuclein, which accumulates and deposits inside many of the cells that die in Parkinson's. Don't fully understand what's going on there, but it's not good. Um, hmm. And so their approach is to try to mop it up with antibodies or prevent it from aggregating. So alpha-synuclein targeted therapies are just in the clinic now. 
in, in phase two testing. We're starting to see some results. Will it be effective? We're not sure. That's you know, a very um, scientific, clear approach there. Um, there are growth factors like uh, one called GDNF, uh, some others that have been tested in the past and shown some promise, but haven't quite broken through. Uh, again, this category of, of well, maybe it's working, but the, the, the scales, the old scales, uh, weren't, weren't very effective at, at really defining the benefits. Um, so those can be delivered by gene therapy, by viruses injected once in the brain, or they can be delivered, unfortunately, and requires tubes, uh, catheters that are permanently implanted and, and injecting viruses into the brain. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Virus, virus, virus-like particles. I guess they're not really virus-like viruses. particles. Yeah. Still injected into the brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's it, the surgery is not that dissimilar from deep brain surgery, where sure. you, deep brain stimulation, where you put in electrodes. So surgeons are getting good at targeting the right brain areas, yeah. Parkinson's, but still, it's it's not trivial. Um, so that's another exciting area. Um, then there are uh, genes like uh, one's called LARC2. And one's called, I think the British call it Lurk2. Anyway, L R R K. Yeah, we'd call that Lurk probably. Yeah, yeah Lurk2. And then it's um, absent, it causes Gaucher's disease. Um, when it's, oh, sorry, Arthur, I just lost you for a second there. Can you, can you go? F- the last thing I heard was, was Lurk, the Lurk thing. Okay, okay. So there, there are two genes that uh, have been discovered to be uh, involved in creating Parkinson's, at least in some people. And they're both now the subject of, of drug discovery and drug development efforts. One is called LARC2 or LURC2. Um, and there's a, there's a drug um, candidate that's just starting in testing in Parkinson's now that would be, seems to look very good in, with all the data so far, so we're rooting for it. Uh, and then the other gene is uh, called GBA, and it's the same gene that that's completely absent, causes a disease called Gaucher's disease, not very nice disease. Uh, um, and, uh, but when, there's, when it's partially absent, then those people um, are usually normal, but in some, they have a higher risk of Parkinson's. So it's somehow involved in Parkinson's. So there, there are new drugs based on those two genes that are also being tested. Um, I, I really believe that uh, um, there will, will be progress made in this uh, but the, the, uh, because Parkinson's is so diverse and the biochemistry and, and even causes are probably diverse, it's probably not going to be a single drug that does everything for everybody. What we'll probably see is, like in the multiple sclerosis field or other, say, fields where things are a little more advanced, you'll see that a number of drugs are shown to be effective. And then over time, the field works out which drugs work best at which stages and which patients. And that will take a period of years, but this is, you know, we're at the beginning of that process now. So in five, 10 years, you know, we'll, get, we'll get further down that road. So that's what I believe and, and truly hope. Um, and um, yeah, we will, we will, we will see um, how the reality unfolds. You're right. It's, it really is an exciting time with everything going on. As you say, there's devices, there's deep brain stimulation, there's drugs, there's all of this stuff being discovered right now. I mean, that means it's just such an exciting place to be both from a health tech also a biotech i mean there's 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 so many angles to this i think one of the reasons i wanted to speak to you on the podcast today is that i've been speaking to a few people recently that are are doing other things other than building big technology companies and it's to kind of highlight the fact that on this podcast you know i've been doing this podcast a couple of years now just over 
it generally is, you know, people that have raised 20, 30 million quid from VCs and they're building some technology and they're trying to put it towards healthcare. But actually, it's the acknowledgement of the mo- of, of late, particularly for me with all the people I've interviewed, that there's more to there's more to health tech than just raising money from VCs and trying to build a company. There are so many different players in the ecosystem. And I suppose the charity sector as a whole, and particularly, you know, using you guys as an example, Parkinson's UK in Parkinson's, Parkinson's disease. I've, I hope from this conversation, people have understood the fact that charities can play an incredibly important role in not only the development of new health tech, also the implementation of new health tech, the communication to patients about new health tech. It seems to me that you guys are doing so much holistically around all of those things. But again, I want to make the point to the audience that charities can be really innovative. And here's a really good example. You know, somebody like yourself, Arthur, that's had the background that you've had in biotech, health, medicine, innovation, entrepreneurship, and you're now heading up innovation at a charity that's focused on a disease. It just goes to show that so much is happening in the charity space. You're perfectly positioned to make investments, which is where you guys are going now. And yeah, I just wanted to make that point yeah. essentially. And, and yeah, well, when people come to us, uh, you know, if, if they have a technology um so we actually have multiple ways we can work with them and, and it's not it's not everyone that's the right you know way to work with every every partner every company every every entrepreneur so in some cases it might be investment that's what's under consideration what makes sense but in other cases it can be patient involvement and in testing their device and and learning how well it works or or you know what needs to be improved for parkinson's sometimes it's been developed um in another area and they want to apply it to parkinson's so we have a, a program um, that actually identifies uh, good, you know, uh, uh, devices or technologies that need that kind of support, and then puts them in touch with the right group of, of, of patients who are really keen on that kind of testing and who are experienced at doing it and know the kind of feedback that's useful to the designers, entrepreneurs. Oh, so it's awesome. a, it's a you know, consulting almost aspect of getting getting the uh, the uh, successful technology, useful technology out there, getting it. Uh, heard uh, and um, um, you know we, we know for instance that even simple things like getting people to exercise the right way at the right time um, can be hugely important for the Parkinson's so if it's a if it's if it's an app that you know helps them with their exercise and motivates them to to do that and then helps them monitor the Parkinson's symptoms for instance um, yeah that's something quite easy to implement um, it's not so regulated and so we can we can you know support that sort of thing so um, yeah, people come to us with an idea and they make a channel to, to different, uh, in different directions, but that's something that, yeah, as a, a full service charity, um, you know, we can do, we have this care and support and we have the research. No, I love it. And I think you guys are doing awesome, awesome work. Well, thank you so much for coming on Arthur. The way that we end these podcasts is just to sort of hand back over to you to summarize a bit about yourself, a bit about Parkinson's UK and to leave us with any asks that you might have of our audience, which I suppose you've done already really, which is that if you're a, a you know, a company in the space, there's multiple ways to get in touch, but no, by all means, just uh, finish us off with a bit of a summary. Arthur. Sure. Okay. Well, I think Parkinson's UK is, is really a, a you know, a leading charity in this space. We're the largest member-based organization for Parkinson's anywhere in the world. We're one of the largest research supporters. There are some others who, who focus only on research. Um, but by, by having the, uh, the, 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 the voice of the patient community driving everything we do, 
um, then the kind of involvement we have in research is different from some other, other funders. Um, people who support us can dedicate their support directly to the virtual biotech program. If they, they like that, that the commercial, uh, more business-like mindset, they can say, I want my support to go directly to that program. But there, there are lots of other things that charity is doing that are really important for every aspect of, of the life of people with Parkinson's. So, um, you know, we, we encourage people to come to us if they have Parkinson's and they want help, if they have Parkinson's and they want, uh, want uh, support, um, or if they are entrepreneurs or companies that have products for Parkinson's and really want to listen to what, what patients can tell them and to improve their device. And in some cases, you know, it's still, it's still restricted. In some cases, we can actually be involved as a business partner with them and help them move it forward. So, um, yeah, it's great too. Great to be able to do all those things. Amazing. And practically speaking, how can people get in touch with either you or Parkinson's UK? We have our website, uh, parkinsons.org.uk. Um, and in that, there's a research section. There's also a, a, a section, uh, parkinsonsvirtualbiotech.org or .com. And that tells us, that tells more about what we're doing in the virtual biotech and how it works and why it's different from other, other research programs. Um, and um, yeah. I mean, my colleagues and even sometimes myself are even on social media. So fantastic. <laughs> uh, and if I can there. find those, I'll stick the links in the, uh, in the show notes, but Arthur, it's been a pleasure. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks James. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media. So you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.